Hey, man, it's me, Kevin Smith. Are you listening to the right podcast? Because you're supposed to be listening to Three Guys in Flick. Are you listening to that right now? Then you're in the right place. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Well, what do you want to hear, man? Do you want to hear that sometimes I think about eating a bullet? Huh? Well, I do. I even got a special bullet for the occasion with a hollow point. Look, make sure it blows the back of my goddamn head out. Do the job right. Every single day, I wake up and think of a reason not to do it every single day. And you know why I don't do it? This is going to make you laugh. You know why I don't do it? The job. Doing the job. Now that's the reason. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Lethal Weapon. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from a penthouse up in L.A., my name is Don. And to my right, we have our comic book guy, John. Happy holidays. Hey, John, back away from the balcony, bud. Get get down. Oh, okay. And to my left, we have the professor, Ken. Hello, everybody. Don't you think you've had enough? No, I'm good. All right. All right. Just making sure. Just making sure. Tonight, we are wrapping up our holiday extravaganza with our fourth holiday film. Tonight, it is Lethal Weapon. Hey, Don, this was uh, your choice this week. Why Lethal Weapon? Well, thank you for asking, comic book guy. I was trying to think of a holiday slash Christmas movie that I could get behind and kind of at the same time fell within the same vein or vibe of the other ones we've been doing on this show. Uh, Just to recap real quick, we have Die Hard, Die Hard 2, we've done Violent Night, all kind of action Christmas movies, right? And so I was thinking about it and I was working at the tree lot one day and Jingle Bell Rock comes on the loudspeaker And Lethal Weapon opens with Jingle Bell Rock, and there's a Christmas tree lot scene. So, here we are. Seems like a good call. Plus, Santa gives us a great gift at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, but we'll get there. Okay. We'll get there. I know what you're saying. And thank you, 1987. I will say that every time I hear Jingle Bells Rock, I think of Lethal Weapon. Every single time. Released on March 6th, 1987, Lethal Weapon was directed by Richard Donner. God, I love me some Richard Donner. It was written by Shane Black, and it stars Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, Gary Busey, Mitchell Ryan, and a bunch of other actors. How'd this movie do, Don? Uh, Lethal Weapon was made for $15 million and looked to bring in $120 million. I was really surprised when I read $120. I, you know, for just the fact that you hear so much about this movie uh, and it's so popular, to only have brought in $120, was it up against some stiff competition back then? Or Well, it did have another buddy cop movie that was released uh, pretty close to the same time because... Lethal Weapon is 13 weeks in the top 10. But in week number 12, another movie opens. Another buddy cop movie opens. And that was the number one grossing movie of the year, was Beverly Hills Cop 2. 
So the number one grossing movie that year was Beverly Hills Cop 2. It brought in 153. Number eight is Lethal Weapon, and it brought in 65. Yeah. Well, I believe Untouchables came out around the same time. Do you know how that one did comparatively? I have the Untouchables coming in at number four that year. So, mm. yeah. Uh, and we've actually reviewed a lot of movies from 87. We've done The Untouchables. We're now doing Lethal Weapon. We've done RoboCop. We've done Summer School, Trains, Planes, and Automobiles, and The Running Man. 87 was an interesting year as well because we talked about 84 last last week. Correct. And this year you have things like The Lost Boys, Summer School, The Golden Child, Spaceballs, Full Metal Jacket, Dirty Dancing, La Bamba, Predator, The Witches of Eastwick, The Secret of My Success, Platoon, and Fatal Attraction. Those are all some heavy hitters yeah, some uh, good as flicks. far as movies go. Meanwhile, we have the younger crowd going, huh? But, haven't heard of half of those. And, but I'm going to throw out probably the most important one in 1987, at least to the comic book and myself, a little movie called A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors. My favorite one. So there you go. Yeah, there that go. came out a couple of weeks after this. Yeah. Professor and I are obviously huge fans of the Lethal Weapon series. I wouldn't have known that. I know, buddy. And had you seen Lethal Weapon? I maybe have seen it once or twice a long time ago, but uh, never really kind of, I think, put the attention into it that it deserves. Oh, cool. I'm excited to get into this. Yeah. But for what listeners may not know is when these microphones are not on, both Ken and Don are quoting this movie constantly. It's all I ever hear is pretty much Lethal Weapon quotes. And to be fair, a lot of it's Lethal Weapon 2. Right, Professor? Yeah. So, and we're going to get into that as well. Let's talk a little bit about Richard Donner. Yeah, I've heard of him somewhere. I love me some Richard Donner. Before he does Lethal Weapon, uh, he really makes his name known with The Omen and Superman. And then he goes on to do The Toy and a little movie called The Goonies. And with the strength of that, he comes on and does uh, Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon, you get Lady Hawk, and you have personal favorite of mine, Maverick, and Assassins. I love Assassins. Mm -hmm. So underrated. Mm -hmm. And he went on after this movie to do another Christmas movie right after this. One that we have reviewed here on Three Guys in a Flick. Scrooged. Yeah. Did you guys know that Richard Donner wasn't the first choice to direct this movie? No, I did not know that. No idea. Uh, Ridley Scott. Uh, But because he was in a tiff with Warner Brothers over Blade Runner, Warner Brothers was like, fuck that, let's go with someone else. Mm. And they were looking at Mr. Spock himself to direct it. But he decided to do Star Trek 3 or 4 at that time. So Yeah, Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. Yeah, having Richard Donner do all of the Lethal Weapon movies, impressive. Yeah. I don't know... If you guys have seen or know about this or not, but there's another Lethal Weapon movie in the pipeline. I've heard rumors, and it'll be interesting to see how it's done without Donner. Lethal Weapon 5, directed by... Fuck off, really? Mel Gibson. The writer for Lethal Weapon 5 is the writer that wrote all of the Lethal Weapon franchise movies. Shane Black. Well, he didn't write all of them. He wrote the first two, and then he gets credited for three oh, and four. That's what it is. It's credit yeah. for. And okay, Shane Black. Let's talk about Shane Black real quick. Mm-hmm. What else do you know him from? Well, I know him probably most prominently for writing Iron Man three and directing. 
Oh, and he directed that too. Yep. And okay. he was in Predator. He was one of the soldiers, a poncho. I think he was poncho in Predator. Oh, right on. Yep. And he wrote Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And I think he directed that one as well. And I think he lights the fire that becomes Robert Downey Jr. in his second coming. Because it, after Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, he gets Iron Man and the rest is fucking history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he also wrote uh, The Last Boy Scout and The Last Action Hero and The Nice Guys. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about this cast a little bit. Uh, Did you guys know that Mel Gibson was offered John McClane and Bruce Willis was offered Martin Riggs, and they both said no to play the roles that they ended up in? Yep. That's really fucking cool. Can you imagine a world where Bruce Willis is Martin Riggs? No, and a parallel universe where that's actually happening. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. I think they both were cast perfectly for their roles because I, I, I could see Mel Gibson doing Die Hard. I cannot see Bruce Willis being crazy in Lethal Weapon. I agree, and I'm going to take it one step further. It's not the crazy I don't see Bruce Willis being. It's the karate expert. It's mm. the badass. Oh, the yeah. fighting style. The, the fighting style, you know, the soldier. Yeah, Bruce Willis is very much the everyman, I wish I was somewhere else, a la John McClane. I have a question for you, especially for you, Don. Uh, When we were reviewing The Last Samurai, you often referred to Tom Cruise as Captain Cuckoo Pants, I think is what it was. Uh, It's Dr. Cuckoo Pants. Dr. Cuckoo Pants. And so we've talked about this before on podcasts, how sometimes an actor's outside life affects how we view them in the movie. Now, obviously, this movie was made before a lot of shit has come out about Mel Gibson. Uh, does that, like all the stuff that's come out about him, you know, his anti-Semitism, his the racist remarks he's made, all, you know, all the things he's done pretty much when he's been drunk, uh, does that affect your viewing of Mel Gibson at all or in, in movies? Addiction's a hell of a thing, right? And I guess it depends on the degree of cuckoo-ness. I called Tom Cruise Dr. Cuckoo Pants because of the whole Scientology thing. Do I really give a fuck in my daily life about it? No, not really. I just think it's funny. Uh, It's too bad about Mel because that guy, to me, growing up, I wanted to be Martin Riggs in a way. So, And then Braveheart is the reason why I want to direct or is the reason why I got into film. And to see him fall like that, it's sad. But I'd like to think that he's better than that. And he wants to make it right and just be a better person. We all have bad days. We all said we have all said things that we have regretted. So, you know, for me, I can separate the two. You got any comments, Professor? Does it affect how you view movies? No, not really, because for the most part, Mel's movies for the last 30 years have been pretty inconsequential. It's the movies from, you know, like probably the last one, Get the Gringo. What was that, like 91 or something like that? Yeah, but he's still, that's like 2010, maybe. Uh, maybe. Anyway, um, but but like that, it, it's a while ago that he's he's produced anything. It's like, yeah, I like that movie. It's all the stuff that he did in the 90s, you know, and, and, and back in the 80s. You know, that's a long time ago. And so for somebody to change, I, I can still look at those movies and go, hey, that's still a good movie to me, regardless of the fact that, you know, over the last 15, 20 years, he's come out with, you know, some very controversial points of view. Sure, sure. For me, I feel like a lot of times, especially with alcohol, but also drugs, is that it lowers your inhibitions and lets you say things that you really mean. 
And so with those videos and stuff that are caught of him being racist and specifically anti-Semitic really stings, really hurts to hear him say things like that. And when you know like a little bit about his background, he was raised by a man who still publicly goes out and says the Holocaust never happened. That's what his father does. So just knowing that about it does taint movies for me that have Mel Gibson in it. But I will say the last Mel Gibson movie, the last new movie that I know of that I've seen that Mel Gibson was in that I actually enjoyed, uh, I don't know what year it came out, was Fat Man? I think that was 2018. 2018. So that was probably the last new movie of Mel Gibson that I didn't mind so much. But again, I just, I have trouble, you know, since I've seen the videos and the things that have happened with him, I have trouble separating the man from his acting. Uh, before Lethal Weapon, Mel Gibson isn't really a huge name, uh, technically. I mean, he does The Road Warrior, and, well, he does Mad Max first. And then The Bounty, The River, Mrs. Sofal, the third Mad Max, before Lethal Weapon 1 even comes out. But after Lethal Weapon, the guy's just on top of the world. He mm-hmm. went on to do Hamlet or something a little while after this. Yeah, yeah, he did Hamlet, uh, Air America, Bird on a Wire, Tequila Sunrise, he was also in The Expendables 3, sure. mm-hmm. The Patriot, and one of the only M. Night Shyamalan movies I actually like, Science. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's it's sad that he had to go through what he went through, but, you know, is what it is. There was a push, obviously, to cancel him a while back, uh, and he was out of Hollywood for a while. I can't remember which the stars it was, but some stars did get together who said, you know what, he's paid his dues, let's bring him back in. And so there's now been a push in Hollywood to bring him back and let him direct and star in different movies. Sure. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Danny Glover wasn't one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, longtime friends. Uh, they have this chemistry that you can't fake. And speaking of Danny Glover, what do you guys think of him as Sergeant Roger Murtaugh? What's not to love? Well said, Professor. Basically, they were looking to cast uh, Murtaugh in this movie, they didn't have any like racial thoughts in mind. They were just going to cast anybody who thought fit the role. I can't think of anybody else who would have better fit the role. I thought he did an amazing job in this movie playing that character. And, and from what I've seen, I haven't seen all the sequels. I feel like he just gets better each movie. He does. And their relationship grows and it's so fun to watch before lethal weapon. He does the color purple and Silverado of note. Yeah. So he's coming off of those, and then he gets this, and then he takes off, really. Mm-hmm. Predator 2. I love the cameo in Maverick. Totally. When they're in the bank. And they're both, nah. nah so good. So good. And it, and it was directed by Richard Donner. How'd you feel about the casting? Um, I love this movie from top to bottom. I think that Riggs and Murtaugh are the best buddy cop duo in cinematic history. After Riggs and Murtaugh, they have gone on to be duplicated, mm-hmm. right? So I, I loved it. Now, Danny Glover, now to transition to Gary Busey, the two of them have starred in another movie together. Predator 2. He just said it. Oh, did you say that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you uh, listen while I, we talk, or are you, are, are you 10 steps ahead? And, and, and the funny thing is, he didn't have his phone in his hand. Yeah, that's weird. So what did you guys think of Gary Busey in this movie? He played a good unhinged guy. I thought so. Kind of reminded me of Vern Wells from uh, Commando. 
mm-hmm. Bennett, just mm-hmm. a little unhinged, a little psychopathic. Not a lot of lines. No, not a lot of lines at all. And the lines he had, they were fine and they fit him. Mm-hmm. The supporting cast to this movie, they're not huge stars. And a lot of them have done or really are just known for this. Uh, the gal who plays uh, Murtaugh's wife, she was actually the original singer to Merry Christmas, Santa, Come Home. And uh, the kids that play his kids, they're his kids throughout all four sequels. The captain, the psychologist, they're all characters that go on and on with us. What about Burbank? Burbank the cat is in the sequels as well. Well, let me ask you to this, since again, obviously big Lethal Weapon fans. Of the series of Lethal Weapon, would this be the one that you guys would say, hey, you have to watch it? Like, this is your favorite one. Or which of, I would say, which of the Lethal Weapon movies is your favorite? Well, you start with one, and then you watch two. And then after you watch two, then you watch three. And then after you watch three, you watch four. Right, but his question was, which one's your favorite? Yeah, I get that. But he also said, which would you recommend? I know, but answer answer his first question first. Because I think we're the same. It's two. I think our favorite is two. Yeah, but I would never tell anybody to watch two. Yeah. Right, but I, I haven't gotten to that part yet. It was yet. a two-part question. You always start with one. Yeah. Because this is what establishes their chemistry and their relationship. And two just accentuates it and makes it better. I think two makes is it a, that much sweeter. I think two is a better movie. I yep. think the villains are better. Yep. But when we get to two, we'll talk about it. And is it Joe Pesci in two? And, Joe Pe- and the addition of Joe Pesci? I mean, not needed by any stretch of the imagination, but once he's there, you can't imagine life without him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, and the bad guys being the bad guys in two works just a little bit better knowing what you know from one. Right. Exactly. Foreshadowing, it's on their fridge. I personally think that Riggs and Murtaugh are the best buddy cop duo in cinematic history. And I am putting them along the likes of Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte in 48 Hours, uh, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence in Bad Boys. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Tango I and think Cash. Tango and Cash. I, I still think that Riggs and Murtaugh are the, are the benchmark. So when you talk about best buddy cop movies, I totally appreciate what you're saying with that. But when you, so you also mentioned 48 Hours. We talked about, Eddie Murphy's Beverly Hills Cop as well. But when you think of buddy cop movies, do you think of any others? John? Well, the first one that came to my mind was Tango and Cash. Uh, Even though that came out after this movie. And I feel like, like you were saying, Don, this, this duo was the mold, I think, for future buddy cop movies. Uh, they kind of set the tone of you have one like this. It's the odd couple effect. You have one who's one direction, one the other direction. And that's the way that all the movies were made in the future. What about you? So uh, two other movies come to mind for me when it comes to buddy cop movies. One is Hot Fuzz and the other is Rush Hour. And speaking of Rush Hour, I, Roger Ebert coined a phrase. And, and I want to read this. Rush Hour is our reliable friend, the Wenza movie, pairing two opposites, 
One's a legendary detective from Hong Kong, and one's a Los Angeles cop. And one's a Chinese guy, and one's a black guy. And one's a martial arts expert, and one's a wisecracking showboat. Neither one's an original casting idea, but together they make an entertaining team. And I think that this is the essence of the buddy cop movie. You have two opposites coming together, and they come together, and they work towards a solution despite their differences, to overcome whatever the challenge is. And they don't necessarily need to be cops either. They, it's you know, just the buddy trope in general. And, and so I think that these, uh, that these two together, Riggs and Murtaugh, they are the quintessential buddy cops. And I, as we stated earlier, it, it's, it's been modeled afterward a bunch of times. Which leads me to my next point, producer Joel Silver. Before we go to Joe Silver, I just want to throw out a probably an obscure buddy cop movie that not a lot of people have seen. But if you have a chance, you should check it out. It's called Running Scared with Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines. That's another great buddy cop movie. It is. And they are pretty close to Riggs and Murtaugh. But I just think Riggs and Murtaugh have a better chemistry. So uh, there's a movie from 1949 called Stray Dogs. It was made by Akira Kurosawa. And he's credited with the first buddy cop movie. After that, the first American buddy cop movie happens in 1967 in the heat of the night. So I, I think that w- when we talk about buddy cop movies, there has to be some serious props that go to Joel Silver. Joel Silver, as a producer, is, I think, personally, largely responsible for the buddy cop movies. He starts out with 48 hours, and then right after that, he does Streets of Fire. And then he has a really big 80s. He does Commando. He does both of the Predators. He's responsible for the Lethal Weapon franchise, Die Hard 1 and 2. And then he ends 89 with Roadhouse. The 90s are every bit as strong. He does The Last Boy Scout, Demolition Man, Assassins, Executive Decision. And then rounding out the 90s, you have the Matrix trilogies. And then after that, you have Swordfish, Kiss Bang Bang, V for Vendetta, both of the Sherlock Holmes movies. And then in 2010, he does The Book of Eli. After that, he gets pretty quiet because the last movie that he does is The Nice Guys. After that, he moves into TV. And part of his challenge is that he is a rather abrasive, loud, fast-talking guy, and he has burned a lot of bridges in Hollywood. And it's cost him several projects. He was unable to do another 48 hours. He was unable to do Die Hard with a Vengeance and Matrix Resurrections. Interestingly enough, his upcoming projects, Logan's Run, Dirty Dozen, Sherlock Holmes 3, and Roadhouse. Nice. Hey, John, is it trivia time? Why, yes, Don. I believe it is trivia time. You two should be excited about this one. We're finally going to find out who is the expert on Lethal Weapon. In our continuing pursuit to crown a master of movie trivia, I have prepared a series of questions related to the movie we are reviewing this episode. Please wait until I finish each question before answering. The name of the woman who falls to her death in the opening sequence of the film, what is it? Amanda Amanda Hunsaker. How old was Amanda when she died? I thought she was 19. I thought she was 26. Final answers? Well, what is it? 22. Oh. Eh. 
What birthday is Roger Murtaugh celebrating in the movie? 50. 50. What brand of beer is Riggs drinking at the beginning of the movie and pretty much later on? Coors. Not including the director's cut, we first meet Martin Riggs at a drug deal. How many drug dealers are there? Four. How much did the dealers want for the drugs? 100,000. Martin has a disregard for his own life since the accidental death of his wife, which he blames on himself for. What was his wife's name? Victoria Lynn. How long had Martin and his wife been married before she died? 10 years? 12 years. God, you guys were close. 11 years. Final question. After Mr. Joshua has been captured, Martin makes it clear he wants to fight him. In your best Martin imitation, what does he say to Mr. Joshua? What do you say, Jack? Would you like a shot shot at at the the title? title? Very good. I think, you know, looking it over, I think, Don, you might have edged this one out. So this puts you one ahead going into probably our final one of the year. All right. Good job, buddy. Thanks, man. Following the recent death of his wife, Los Angeles Police Department Narcotics Sergeant Martin Riggs, a former Special Forces soldier, has become suicidal and erratic. Despite the protest of police therapists, the captain believes Riggs is faking his psychosis to be forcibly retired with a generous pension and partners him with fellow war veteran and seasoned homicide sergeant Roger Murtaugh. Riggs and Murtaugh do not get along well at first, as Murtaugh is equally dismissive of Riggs' mental state but is eventually convinced Rig is truly suicidal. Murtaugh is contacted by a former Vietnam War friend, Michael Hunsaker, ostensibly to help his daughter Amanda escape her life of prostitution and pornography. But Amanda kills herself by jumping from an apartment balcony before she and Murtaugh meet. Her autopsy shows she was fatally poisoned with tainted drugs, indicating she was potentially murdered. Riggs and Murtaugh attempt to question her pimp, but are assaulted after finding drugs on the premises forcing Riggs to kill the pimp to save Murtaugh's life. Their final lead is Dixie, a prostitute who witnesses Amanda's death and whom the pair believe may have poisoned her. Dixie's home explodes as they arrive and her corpse is later recovered. Riggs locates components of a mercury switch explosive among the debris, a specialty explosive he recalls being used by CIA mercenaries in Vietnam. The suspect is detailed by neighborhood children, who noticed he had an elite special forces tattoo similar to Riggs. So the way that this movie opens, I think we mentioned earlier that Santa brought us a a Christmas gift because we're getting Christmas music. And what's one of the first things we get to see? The leftover credits from Superman the movie. Yeah, wasn't that funny? I thought it was brilliant. And then we get this long helicopter tracking shot and we notice Amanda Hunsaker laying there. uh, Boobs. And cocaine. And what describes the 80s better than... Boobs. And cocaine. We get this shot of her being all high. She does her coke. And then she jumps off the fucking building. Did you know that actress really did it? Well, sort of. She didn't do do the entire plunge. But she jumped off the balcony, meaning we see her jump off the balcony. Yeah, she she did did the stunt, but not, as you're saying, that she didn't fall as far. But one of the things I did read was interesting. Did you read what they did with the, uh, the bag that she fell on? What? They painted it to look like the street below, like it was going to look. So that way, 
they were able to film uh, with, you know, pointing down and looking like she was actually jumping in the street. They didn't have to kind of do any kind of weird editing. I thought it was a great shot. Yeah, it's a great looking shot. I mean, it's a crane shot that just follows you down. Mm-hmm. And then instead of seeing the victim hit, we're in the inside of the car. And I think that's pretty impactful. And then you get that theme, that mm-hmm. score. And Lethal Weapon has such a such a distinct score, I feel, that most 80s action movies kind of copied it after a while. Even our beloved Die Hard. But anyways, she falls in a manner where she still leaves one of her boobs exposed. Boob. Just for you, buddy. Uh, actually, I guess she was positioned. There's something, I think some kind of artist work called, I think, a beautiful suicide or something like that. And they purposely positioned her to uh, resemble that, that yeah. look. Yeah. And then we cut to the Murtaugh house. Roger's having a bath. And what the fuck? Right? Right. This seemed a little weird to me. And, and I will agree with everyone who thinks that this is maybe just a little bit weird. If your family came in, wouldn't your first reaction would be get the fuck out? Yeah, well, that or cover up something. I wasn't sure if he was in a bubble bath and the bubbles were covering. However, that being said, this bathtub bit goes on to become uh, a reoccurring gag mm-hmm. throughout this entire series. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did notice like that bathtub, the ledge was kind of high, so maybe they couldn't see over it. But then one of them leans over the bathtub. And that's it, what kind of bothered me. Yeah, his daughter gives R- him a kiss. Rihanna, come on. How is she not like, oh, my God, Dad? Right. So when Shane Black was writing this, clearly he didn't have teenage daughters. So we meet the Murtaugh's, and we get this funky little sax. I call it a saxy tune. It's borderline porn, borderline jazz club. That's what I always get the feel of it. It's, it's a little bit of a sadness to it. Uh-huh. Right? But yeah, and then right after that, then we jump to Martin smoking in bed. Which I always found funny. Yeah, and first thing he does is grab a beer. Yeah, he gets up, he feeds the dog, takes a leak, and this shows us right away what kind of, what kind of characters we're dealing with. We're dealing with the family man, and then we're dealing with the loner slash uh, on-the-edge cop. Just doesn't give a shit. He doesn't. He sleeps with his gun underneath his pillow. He's smoking in bed. He's drinking before he goes to work. He just doesn't give a fuck. And that's back to Roger, and he's greeting his wife in the kitchen. What's what's that on my tie? It's an ugly spot. Uh, Great dynamic. Uh, I bought this family. I was immediately hooked by this family. And I thought Roger and his wife's chemistry really worked and just the dialogue seemed natural and flowy and the way he interacted with the kids. I could already tell that I was really fond of Roger. One thing I don't think I caught the very first time I watched this movie was when he's in the bathtub, somebody makes a comment about the beard making him look old. And then I never noticed it that he had shaved the beard right after until the officer pointed out, hey, you shaved the beard. Yeah. And then it connected up to me of, oh, that's from the comment in the bathtub. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, Raj, you look younger with the beard. And then he finds out that Michael Hunsaker called. And then right after that, you get Rihanna. Hey, this is my New Year's Eve dress. And he's like, oh, shit. And right. Get, and and have we not all been there? Yeah. And oh. then you get the sad sacks again. Yep. Yeah. Well, right there, I think 
you know, knowing this movie goes on to do so many sequels, that's going to be a continuing storyline even throughout this movie and then hopefully beyond that he's got this daughter who's a hot looking daughter that he's just going to have to deal with. Eh, kind of. A little bit. I felt like that was just something they were setting up. And then we cut to uh, Roger showing up at the scene of the crime. Mm-hmm. And then we're introduced to Dixie. And I love what he tells her. Uh, she says, uh, tell these bozos to leave me alone. He goes, you bozos, leave her alone. And she goes, I got to go. I'm tired. And he goes, yeah, all dressed up and no one to blow. <laughs> and she's like, hey, hey, hey. And then he figures out that it's uh, the Hunsucker gal. Right. It's got to be Michael's little girl. Right. Right. And then he, you know, he's asking the other detective, what, what are the parents name? Michael and Claire. And then he remembers the wife's name. And then we cut to upstairs and he's on probably the world's first cell phone. Did you guys see that? Mm-hmm. The radio, the radio shack special. Yep. And so, uh, he calls Trish and tells her and you know, we get the sad sacks again. So now Murtaugh is connected to this case because he served with Amanda's father. Now, is this where we switch back to the Christmas tree lot? And now, now we cut to the Christmas tree lot, which has to be one of my favorite scenes in this entire film. It's just the way uh, Mel Gibson portrays it, just the dialogue and the banter back and forth between him and the drug dealers. You know, he cuts it up and he eats it. And who eats cocaine? I don't know. Right? And then uh, he goes, oh, this is good. You know, maybe a six-footer to put it under. And I appreciated the scene because it's at a Christmas tree lot. Yeah, I'll take it all. <laughs> he wants it all. Yeah. For, how how much? much? A hundred. Oh, that's pretty stiff on my salary. But hell, you only live once. And then he starts counting out. 20, 40. I really like when, he, when someone said, no, 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 what's this guy? Hey, I, I, you know, don't, what does he say? Shut up, man. I'm losing count. Yeah. I thought that was absolutely brilliant. 100,000, you dumb fuck. He goes, oh, wow, that's really that's really steep. I can't afford that, especially not on my salary. But I'll tell you what. How about I take all of the stash off your hands for free, and you assholes can go to jail. And so he reveals himself to be a cop. And this shows us how unhinged he really is. And I think my favorite part of this scene is when the drug dealer captures him. And all the other cops are getting there, and he looks at the drug dealer, and he's all, shoot me, shoot me, shoot me, shoot me. And he's telling the cops, shoot him. You know, it's such a great scene. Yeah, he's just going off the rails. And so after that, they calm him down, and he has that look where he's just trying to breathe, and he's trying to regain composure. We cut to him at his house. Right, he's he's home. He's, he has a TV, but he is incredibly sad. I remember watching this movie for the first time in 1987, Thanksgiving, my dad rented it, and then we went to Fred Meyer, and it was my birthday, and I got a Transformer, uh, Ultra Magnus, fuckers. And I remember watching it, and I remember feeling then what I felt last night, and every time I watch it, this scene is always so sad, and it's heartbreaking. And Mel Gibson does such a good job. I feel his pain. I Absolutely. feel his loss. It's- and what... And what accompanies it so beautifully is the score. The guitar twang. Yeah. Is this the scene where he puts the gun in his mouth? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually read that was interesting about the scene. They really had a blank in there, which if he had pulled the trigger, would have done some serious damage or could have killed him. But they wanted it like that, especially Mel Gibson wanted it like that because he wanted it to be a tense scene so that he could really get into that character. And it worked. It, uh, it was it was very believable, I thought. 
And what sells it for me is when he has the gun to his forehead and then he realizes that he could do more damage if he puts it in his mouth. And uh, the, when, the, when the score changes, the, the, mm-hmm. there's a musical cue there that really heightens the tension for that moment. And it builds and it builds and it builds. And then he can't do it. And then we get that guitar twang. And then he tells her he misses her. And I just, oh, it brings me to tears every single time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll see and you he, later. Yeah. I'll see you much later. later. And so the next day, uh, Roger's at work. And this is what you were talking about. Uh, the captain comes in and says, you look younger with the beard. And the, his, his buddy, oh, yeah, you shaved. <laughs> he says, some detective you are. Mm-hmm. But this is our first meeting between... Riggs and Murtaugh, what'd you guys think? Well, it was, I really enjoyed how we learned a little bit more about Amanda's death. In the meantime, you have Murtaugh looking at this sketchy guy in the office and what the hell is that guy doing? And what's at the same time, we're getting the information about Amanda Hunsecker. Right. And he's listening, but he's paying attention to Riggs. This scene, I don't know why it bothered me a little bit because obviously uh, Riggs would have had to get far into the police station, into the area, to even be sitting on that desk. Somebody would have known. I mean, I don't know how, you know, good security was back then, but that he was carrying a gun. So the fact that right there, uh, Murtaugh profiles him and then runs out and tackles him when he pulls the gun out. I loved. First of all, I love Mel Gibson's look at him as Murtaugh's running towards him uh, when he, yelled, <laughs> he gun. looks away. Yeah, but um. It just seemed a little too comical to me to have him tackle him in the police station like that. Oh, I thought it was wonderful. Uh, Danny Glover was just reacting to seeing the gun. He was already suspicious and probably yeah, profiling but- him. Whatever. Whatever. He was already there. It, d- yeah. it doesn't matter. He was reacting to the gun. And you're right. When Mel, when he says, gun, and Mel Gibson looks to like, where, where, where? And then he looks at Danny Glover and goes, oh, it's me? <laughs> so good. Meet your new partner. I'm too old for this shit. And then we cut to them... Walk into the car. They're now partners. And this is where we kind of find out. A you know, little bit. Riggs is self-aware. He knows that nobody wants to work with him and he's fucked and this, that, and the other. And and Murtaugh's like, well, guess what? I don't want to fucking work with you either. But here we are. So. I do like, and I don't know if it's a running gag throughout the movie, but uh, Mel Gibson offers to drive several times throughout this movie. And Murtaugh's always like, I'll drive. Oh, that's one of my favorite reoccurring bits. Mm-hmm. And so they get in the car, they take off, and now we finally get to meet our antagonists. We have Mr. Mendez coming in to meet the general and Mr. Joshua, and they're talking about their heroine. What did you guys think of the villains of this movie? For the general, I don't know if there was enough buildup of him. Um, You know, we've seen a lot of big bads in a lot of movies, and... He came across as, yeah, maybe he was, you know, a general type character. Uh, Gary Busey, he started off right off the bat of this fucking guy's crazy. I don't know. I think that the that the lighter scene works. It shows me that that, that, that these are people not to be trifled with, and they are certainly uh, scary people. My people are loyal to me, Mr. Mendez. I liked them. They're not as formidable as, say, other villains in this series, but... For what we need them to be, I think they're they're just fine. And yeah. Gary Busey does make a good opposite to Riggs. Yeah. So Riggs and Murtaugh, they go and visit Michael Hunsacker to let him know about his daughter. At the bank, right? At the bank. Yeah. 
And then uh, this is where Hunsucker's like, uh, I want you to find him and I want you to kill him. And Roger's like, I'm a police officer, man. I can't do that. And look what Hunsucker says. I know you're a fucking police officer. Kill him. You owe me. You owe me. Yeah. This was a scene that, I don't know, it, it bothered me a little bit. Like, at this point in the movie, though, it, I had no problem. But later on, when they revisit him, and we'll come to this later, uh, he starts talking about how they're too big, they're too powerful, you can't kill them, you're not going to win this one. Yet here, you, and it may be because it's the grief over his daughter, but he's like, just go ahead and kill them without giving them, you know, him information of, this guy's a general, this guy's got, you know, soldiers mercenaries working for him you're in for a tough battle just, just go kill them i don't know why it just that whole thing set up kind of bothered me well i just feel bad for you then because didn't bother me at all didn't oh. bother me either yeah and what it does is it uh establishes you know where roger is and who michael hunsacker is to him and and riggs is observing all of this right he's the new partner and uh they're outside and i love how riggs is always eating yeah. He has his hot dog. I've never wanted a hot dog more than when watching Lethal Weapon. Hey, what did he mean you owe him? Oh, something back from the war. He took a bayonet in the lungs for me. Well, that was nice of him. And so they get a call, and then uh, <laughs> this is the first time uh, Rick says, you want me to drive? And he knows, no, you're, you're, suicide. you're supposed to be suicidal. And Riggs is like, well, anyone who drives in this city is suicidal. So they leave and they respond to uh, the jumper. And again, classic fucking scene in my book. They get there. They have a jumper. I don't know why homicide's there. And they say, where's the police psychologist stuck in traffic? And Riggs is like, I can do this. And so he goes up there. What did you guys think of this whole jumper bit? Oh, I loved it. <laughs> Maritza tell him, no guns, no jujitsu, just bring them down. Yeah, so he gets up there. And I just love the dialogue between them. Well, I, I thought it was funny that Murtaugh was so okay with him going up there knowing this guy's likely crazy himself, but maybe he thought crazy could talk to crazy. Maybe. Well, he says, have you dealt with the jumper before? And he says, yeah. And he goes, okay, you're elected. He didn't even care. He was just like, mm -hmm. let's just deal with it. I was trying to figure out why. I don't know why I was trying to read more into the movie. Why was the guy wanting to jump? And he made some comment of, I didn't kill anybody. Or I'm not a murderer or something. Well, he was trying to say that he's not a bad person. He said, it's not like I killed anyone. Oh. Uh, and Riggs is like, I know, I know, you're hurting, you're hurting. We all got problems, especially now during the silly season. One of my favorite lines is, he goes, you want a cigarette? Here, let's smoke. Let, let's both take our time and both die of cancer. I, I just think that's funny. When did they have time to inflate that big thing underneath them? Oh, probably they were doing it as soon as he got up there. Yeah, and a that precaution. was an awfully big bag to bring out. Well, the, he, situation like I'm sure that. all he had to do was scooch to the left and jump and there was no bag. Mm -hmm. So I think it was just a precaution because I remember seeing this uh, way back when. And when he jumps, fuck you, I'm jumping. You know, uh, I thought to myself, that's weird. Why would they put up that bag? But they did. And he jumps and fucking classic. Scene. Did you catch the uh, goof in this scene? Yeah. The handcuffs break. Do you notice that they grab hands? No, I didn't notice. Yeah, that as soon part. as yeah. the as soon as the handcuff breaks, they clench hands like, "Oh shit!" Meaning, it kind of tells you maybe they only did this once. Mm -hmm. What do you think of this scene, Professor? Oh, I thought it was so much fun, and we get to see a little bit more of of uh, Riggs being unhinged. You know, do you want to jump? Do you really wanna? You know, I I just uh, I bought it. Yes, and the scene that happens directly after this, when they go into that empty store 
yeah, and the f- Murtaugh starts yelling at him. Again, it's heartbreaking because there's so much passion in that speech and he's fucking serious. He doesn't care. He He's not afraid of dying, you know? Yeah. And the bit that gets me every time is when he puts the gun under his chin and he's like, uh, yeah, put it under your chin. The bullet might, might go through your ear, not kill you. And they do that whole exchange. It's when they cut to Murtaugh's eyes and then they cut back to Riggs' eyes. Mm-hmm. And Riggs' eyes are literally, I think, screaming for help. And then we cut back to Murtaugh's eyes and it's kind of disbelief. Like, is this really fucking happening? He's really going to do it? Oh, shit. And he stops the hammer from dropping. And he says, you're not trying to dry a psycho pension. You really are crazy. And Riggs' line. I'm hungry. So perfect. I'm going to go get something to eat. So perfect. And then we cut to uh, Murtaugh on the phone with the shrink. With that cell phone. Yep. That brick. Yep. And I want to know, with this technology at this time, it's probably not the best audio, probably. Probably in and out, I would guess. And where does he choose to do a phone call like this? He just pulls over on the side of a bridge. A fucking freeway overpass. Yeah. How quiet is it while he's on the phone? Yeah, yeah. And I've said this line a thousand times. I uh, love when Riggs says, hey, what's wrong? Did you get a bad personal phone call? The stock market crash or something? Here, don't worry. Have a French fry. <laughs> you want me to drive? <laughs> and so they're driving along, and this scene kind of... It kind of breaks the ice and it eases the tensions a little bit. And I'm a fucking dead. I'm a dead man. Fuck you! Look at a dead man. Uh, he goes. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know your birthday was yesterday. Yeah. Sincerely, happy birthday, man. Maybe we'll stay alive long enough for me to buy you a present. And then they both smile and they both g- kind of giggle. I think that's that's the start. Mm-hmm. That's the start of what we it, now love. It's it's the line that immediately follows that lets it lighten up a little bit because he says don't thank me now it's it's the least i could do after all that you've done for me all the kindness (laughs) that you've shown me me. yeah yeah uh and so they go to the drug dealer's house uh that's richard donner's house by the way Mm. and uh they go in and just the kind of dialogue they have i mean they even talk about uh murtaugh says you're not going to smoke that in here are you he goes well yeah i am (laughs) so they talk about rig smoking in the car it's just brilliant I do like when they get to the drug dealer's house. First thing is like, how are we going to get in? And all of a sudden that lady just lets them in. So they just kind of like, we don't need a search warrant if they're just going to leg us, let us in. That's right. That's oh. so good. This is also another great example of their dialogue. Uh, they get they get shot at. And then uh, Murtaugh shoots the guy in the leg. And Riggs cuffs the girls. And he comes back. And Murtaugh's like, see, he shot him in the leg. Now we question him. I didn't. I didn't shoot him full of holes or jump off the building with him. And Riggs's response is brilliant. That's no fair. The building guy lived. <laughs> this is so well, good. I'm just going to stand over here being happy. <laughs> you read him his rights. But he's got a gun. And Riggs does what he's got to do. And after the dude drowns and they pop back out of the water, I love Riggs's response. Whoops. Whoops. And then we have Murtaugh. He apologizes to Riggs. That's a little harsh, his line. Which one? Uh, have you met anybody you haven't killed? And if you notice Riggs's response, is he, he kind of expects it, mm-hmm. and he doesn't. He doesn't take offense to it. He doesn't get mm-hmm. all pissy about it. He he comes back and says, "Well, I haven't killed you yet." And then the apology scene, and with the tune, mm-hmm. and he goes, "You saved my life, right? Thank you." And Riggs right. is like, 
Oh, I bet that hurt to say. <laughs> you know. You'll never know. Yeah. And then uh, R- Murtaugh invites him back for dinner. This scene, when he invites him in for dinner, that was pretty heartwarming. I think uh, so, too. I mean, right there, you're thinking all day long, all Murtaugh's thought is, this guy's insane, he's suicidal, he's on the edge, and he's going to get me killed. And you're thinking, he hates him. He does not like this guy. But then, how many guys you know the first day on the job, he's inviting him into the family? He is, and I think a lot of it is because he just saved his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, th- this bit I love because the family gets to know Martin, and you can tell right away that Rianne has a crush on him, and just the just the dynamics between them. Well, the one thing I really appreciated was early on, I mean, even early on in the movie, we get the impression that Trish is not a good cook. <laughs> and and yep, Murtaugh yep. even mentions it while in the house with Riggs that, you know, what are you trying to cook here or something along uh, the lines. How is a brown like substance? substance. <laughs> so after dinner, they're in the boat and they're having a conversation and they're starting to talk about the murder a little bit. And then Rianne comes out and I like how he's, she says, I want to go to this party. And he says, and Murtaugh says, no, you're grounded. You know that. And Riggs immediately, oh, come on, Raj, have a heart. Listen, good buddy. She was caught smoking dope in the house, you know, and then they have that whole back and forth. And it's at this point where Riggs is leaving and they're kind of talking and Riggs kind of lets down his guard a little bit. And he says, you know, this is the only thing I've ever been good at. Yeah. When he, when he starts out and he says, I do it real good, you know, and then he has that look on his face and he's kind of hiding behind the truck. Yes. Yes. The scene that you're talking about is he's talking about he's good at killing. Yes. He's getting ready to leave, and Riggs uh, earlier said that he liked Trisha's cooking. Hey, Riggs, you really like my wife's cooking? No. <laughs> See you tomorrow. <laughs> They're honest with each other. They are partners. And so it's nighttime, and uh, it's Raj pouring down rain, and Raj gets uh, a package, and he sits down, and it's evidence, really. And so he starts to investigate. He who sees sent the, him that package? It's from the police department. Okay, I was yeah. trying to figure out why and who he got that package from. Yeah, no, it's from the police department. There's a big sign on it that says evidence. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so he watches the adult film and he looks at the... The yearbook. And he gets angry because mm-hmm. it's just another baby. Right, mm-hmm. She's 22 years old and needless. Next morning, we have, we have Martin waking... <laughs> We have Martin waking up Roger with a cup of coffee. Again, one of my favorite scenes. And uh, yeah, who let you in here? Uh, Trish. I, I get a shower. I get a shower. Um, no, and he goes, five more minutes, five more minutes. Oh, come on, Roger. You got to get up. We got to catch bad guys. After Murtaugh gets up, Riggs sits down in his place like he's getting comfortable and starts sipping his coffee. And then you hear Raj, give me that and get out of here. And then comes the shooting range. Love, and I, love that. The shooting range dialogue is so natural and so, dare I say, perfect. It's wonderful. They're, they're walking through the case, and they're walking through what happened. And the fact that the line where uh, Murtaugh says, uh, now the body's public and she's got to come down and she stops and says, shit. And then Riggs is like, yeah, she absolutely stops and says, shit. <laughs> it's so good. And then she grabs uh, the nearest flat foot that she can grab. Find officer, officer. I saw the whole thing. Oh man, that's, that's pretty, pretty thin. Fun. That's pretty fucking thin. Yeah. 
And then uh, they have their little shooting contest. What'd you guys think of this? I thought it was funny as shit. It was, it was so good. It was so good because, you know, we see the prowessness of Murtaugh with his one shot. Hey, that's pretty good. Well, let me show you what an old guy can do. So Murtaugh, point blank, I mean, bullseye, yep. right in the center. And so what does Riggs do? He puts two eyes and a mouth. Have a nice day. So good. So then it's on to Dixie's house? That is correct. And they walk over there, and I like how he's, uh, they're walking up to the house, and Riggs is like, remember, probably nothing, right? Pretty thin. They, that's a that's an ongoing thing throughout this case, is they keep saying that the, the case is thin. But are no. You, are you going to arrest Dixie? The house blows up. I and, love how the little kids are standing on their car. And, and after it's all done, I love what the little kids say. Do it again. One of them's <laughs> like, I missed it. Do it again. Do it again. And they said, do you think Dixie was home? And then the look they give each other, Riggs and Murtaugh, like, yeah, she was home. And so, you know, the aftermath and they're cleaning shit up. And this is where Riggs finds the Mercury switch. And But it turns out that there's a witness. And this witness is little six-year-old Alfred. What'd you guys think of this bit? I liked how his friends were saying, don't talk to him. Don't talk to him. And, like, and the little kid says, mama says policemen use their gun to shoot black people. And they're like, uh, ice cream. Yeah. They don't deny it at all. No, no. But, I mean, what do you say to that? Mm-hmm. And uh, so they get a description, and Riggs is all for it, right? Oh, this is great. Uh, all units, be on the lookout for Big Bird. Large Bird, funny voice. But... As it turns out, this little kid is useful, kind of. And we learn that our villain has a special forces tattoo like Sergeant Martin Riggs. How close would that kid have had to be to see that tattoo? I mean, per- the tattoo was pretty small on Riggs's arm. Well, I, I was thinking about it, and Gary Busey was probably wearing a short-sleeve uh, repairman uh, suit. If the kid's underneath the porch... And then Gary Busey has to kneel down to plant the bomb or whatever. I think he can see it that way. Okay. And and the, the little gas main gray thing that's isn't that close to the ground anyway? Yeah. And I love how the music sw- swings very ominously as uh, as Alfred is taken away. It's like oh shit. I wonder if there's any openings in the L.A. Fire Department. <laughs> Suspecting Hunsecker is withholding information, Riggs and Murtaugh visit him at Amanda's funeral. He reveals that during the Vietnam War, he worked for Shadow Company, a defunct CIA preliminary unit tasked with destabilizing the local heroin trade. Following the war, the ex-CIA mercenaries and soldiers involved reformed Shadow Company as a criminal organization and began shipping large quantities of heroin from Asia to the United States. Under the leadership of retired General Peter McAllister and his right-hand man, Mr. Joshua, Hunsaker's role as a banker allowed him to make the illicit funds seem legitimate. He initially called Murtaugh to confess and turned witness against Shadow Company, and McAllister had Amanda killed in retaliation. Joshua arrives in a helicopter and kills Hunsaker before escaping. He later attempts to kill Riggs in a drive-by shooting, but the latter is saved by his bulletproof vest. Riggs' death is faked to give the pair an advantage. So they go see Hunsacker after Dixie blows up. 
And this is kind of where we get the meat of the story. She wasn't killed for something she was into. She was killed for something that you're into. So they're starting to put two and two together. Stop me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I love that. I love that line. And uh, Hunsaker comes clean and tells him about Shadow Company and the heroin. And he's like, this is big business. And uh, Murtaugh's like, I'm going to burn it down. And you're right. Hunsaker flips his tune. Yeah, he right? At first too- he says, kill him, kill him, kill him. But now he says, I have another daughter. You can't protect him. You don't know these people. They're too big. And uh, Murtaugh's like, uh, acquaint me with them. And at that exact moment, and how the other party guests don't hear this helicopter, whatever. I'm going to go with it. The helicopter comes up. Mr. Joshua shoots him. And, you know, Riggs chases down a helicopter with his gun. That was a pretty fantastical moment, having the helicopter pop up. I remember the first time that happened, it's like, what the fuck? How did you time that to be just so that you can just pop up and, oh, yeah, there he is. I'm guessing they had the bu- the office bugged. Or under surveillance of some Something sort. Like yeah, they I, knew that he was starting to spill his beans. I, I, I agree with that. So Hunsaker's dead, and Riggs and Murtaugh are canvassing the streets looking for Dixie and uh, anyone who might know her, this, that, and the other. And a car pulls around, and there's a drive-by, and Riggs gets shot through the window. Do you think he was dead when you guys first saw this? Yes. Did you? Yes. Interesting. My first thought, and I hadn't remembered the scene from earlier, was, I bet you he's wearing a bulletproof vest. But but my second thought was, that's got to fucking hurt. Oh, it does, right? It hurts no matter what. I mean, that's going to do some damage. That's some broken ribs or something. And he gets shot, and, you know, Murtaugh's like, smart, you wore your vest, kid. And... They come up with this plan, right? And Riggs recognizes that it's the same the, guy who, same albino know, Jack, Jack Rabbit, son, son of a bitch, bitch that did on soccer. And uh, now they have a plan. Because he's dead. Riggs is dead. Concerned Murtaugh knows too much, Shadow Company kidnaps his daughter, Rianne, and forces Murtaugh to meet them at El Mirage Lake. Riggs provides sniper support to help Murtaugh and rescue Rianne. But all three are captured and recovered to a nightclub basement, a Shadow Company front. Riggs and Murtaugh are tortured for information until Riggs escapes, kills several Shadow Company members, and frees Murtaugh and Rianne. Although Joshua escapes, Murtaugh kills McAllister. Deducing Joshua will seek revenge at Murtaugh's home, Riggs and Murtaugh ambush him. Riggs defeats Joshua in a brawl, but chooses not to kill him. Police officers take Joshua into custody, but he breaks free, takes an officer's gun, and attempts to shoot Riggs and Murtaugh. The pair return fire and kill Joshua. A short time later, after visiting his wife's grave, Riggs shares Christmas Day dinner with Murtaugh and his family. Riggs gifts Murtaugh a hollow point bullet he has been saving to commit suicide as he no longer needs it. Roll credits. So after Riggs gets shot, they're kind of at the car and they're kind of brainstorming with what to do. And then a call comes in over the radio and uh, it's like, uh, Murtaugh, we have a body for you. And he says, now get someone else to do it. And dispatch comes back and says, well, it's right next to your house. And he goes, let me guess. Blonde hair, big dimples. How'd you know that, Sarge? And it clicks. And it, it actually took me, I had to rewind it again to catch how he knew that that was uh, Rihanna's boyfriend. Mark. Mark. Because I thought at first, 
Well, that sounded kind of like Gary Busey. Oh, but wait, they mentioned the dimples earlier. There was kind of a talk about, you know, when they were mentioning. You mean the ones with bits in his face? Yeah. Those are dimples. Yeah. yeah. So that now makes sense to me. They, they head back to his place and they, they uh, quietly storm the house and they find the note. I love how they held the guns on the family. But they immediately, yeah, but they immediately realize yeah. that and take it back, right? But that's enough to freak mom out. And she's like, where's my daughter? Then the phone rings. Was it this scene that it was interesting? There was a coloring. I'm sure it's from the Christmas lights or something. But you notice the inside of the house had turned red? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if that was to add tension to add drama or. I think so. I think it is to darken the mood and to really sober us up, mm-hmm. right? We've kind of had this long fun ride for the past hour, hour 15, whatever. And now we really have to get serious. And Riggs kind of says it with his speech. He says, you know they're going to kill her, don't you? And he's like, yes. And the only way to get her back is to go take her from them. We do this, we do it my way. You shoot, you shoot to kill. All you have to do is just not miss. And I love Murtaugh's response. Are you really crazy? Or are you as good as you, you say, say you are? are? Yeah. You just have to trust me. Oh, so good. Is this where he also says we're going to get bloody on this one? Yes, we're going to get bloody on this one, Raj. <laughs> right after the phone call and Murtaugh goes to the wife, Riggs hangs up the phone. I love the way Riggs' eyes look, that fierce, steeled determination that he is all in. How dare you fuck with my family now? That's what I got is he is now connected to this family. So uh, we have uh, Joshua telling the general that Riggs is dead. And with that, it's like, okay, well, let's just finish this up. Well, he calls in to the police station or something like that. Uh-huh. And pretends to be a reporter to get verified that Riggs is dead. And Sergeant Martin Riggs was shot and killed this evening. Oh, he'll talk. We have his little girl. Oh, I know. Fucking diabolical. Mm, totally. So the phone rings, they answer it again, and now it tells them where to meet, and here we go. Next morning, uh, we get another wonderful helicopter shot of the Murtaugh family truckster driving down a desert highway, and he stops, lets Riggs off. My first thought when I saw that scene of them driving to the desert, uh, by the look of the car, I wanted the music from Vacation. I was just singing that in my head just right now. That's Holiday funny. Holiday yeah. Who sings it? I don't know. Lindsay Buckingham of Fleetwood Mac. Wow, you guys are killing me. I was thinking heart, but I knew it wasn't heart. (laughs) So Murtaugh gets there, and then we see in the distance another fucking helicopter, and then two more cars. What did you guys think of this whole showdown bit? I really dug that camera shot of the the heat distorting the... uh, Long distance shot of Murtaugh standing there waiting. First, you see the helicopter come above the line. Then you have the vehicles come up. And and then we watched that for, it was probably like 10 seconds. Yeah, yeah. I this, really liked it. This scene to me, beyond I think any of the other scenes, is what they were going for, at least called out to me, felt like a Western. Felt like a showdown. Like they're in the desert, the one guy versus you know all these other guys. And he's got the plan in the back of his head. It's the showdown. I'll agree with that. Yeah. I can see why you would think that. It certainly felt very perilous. Yes. And all I kept thinking was, is somewhere on Roger has to be a grenade, or I expected him to open up something and show a whole wire of dynamite or something. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. 
And, you know, knowing Riggs has your back, that that's you got to feel pretty good about going into it as well. You got an ace up your sleeve. Yeah. So he gets there, he sees Rianne, and then the dude's like, as I told you, take your hands out of your pockets. And he goes, all right, pal. And he shows him the grenade. And I love what Roger says. If she's going to die, she's going to die with me, my way, not yours. That's what a fucking father does. They shoot him in the arm. Apparently, it's the left arm. I thought it was the right. And it's a smoker grenade. And Gary Busey, Gary Busey has, a good, has a good bit here, too, because he comes out and he's telling them, you know, Riggs is gone. You, you're completely outnumbered. We have, you know, we're in control. And that is sold by the low-angle camera shot, the close-up low-angle camera shots that we have of Joshua when he's talking. The camera is down looking up at Joshua and the blue sky above him. He is the authority. He is in control. You know, you would think that with in a day and age with those awesome-looking cell phones, they would have at least had like an earpiece or something they could talk to each other because Riggs is there by himself going, to the left, move to the left, Raj. <laughs> Good call. Yeah. A little bit of something. Yeah. And then Rod, Roger, he, he gets shot, and Martin, he starts firing. Damn it, it's Riggs. And they know, right? Joshua knows right away that it's Riggs, and it almost fucking works. And uh, I love how Riggs says when Joshua pops his hat out, all right, Mr. Cottontail, good night, and McAllister has a gun on him. Which is, I think, probably the biggest pet peeve I have in the movie. How in the world does General McAllister find Riggs in such a barren place? He's lying down in the brush and the general finds him? There could be a lot of different explanations on how he finds him. I will just chalk it up to bad guy ESP. My thought wasn't so much how he found him was how did he get from the scene of the shooting to him? He's probably about at least 100 yards away. How did he get to him so fast? Without anybody seeing him? That's a good question. And he snuck up on Riggs, which I thought would be a little odd. And so uh, everything's going down, and I like how Murtaugh tells Rianne to get in the car. Get in the fucking car! (laughs) But here's my question. So you're getting chased by a helicopter, right? How do you not hit the brakes? Why, Why do you not hit the brakes and take a right? I mean, yes, the helicopter would eventually catch up to sure. you, but you'd still got to run and start. Sure. But and she's 16 or whatever it is. I would say at least 18. Okay. But that's just me. And I'm also thinking, you know, if the helicopter starts thumping, you thump the helicopter back. You would think. Yeah. And so, why is she just driving in a straight line? And just, that's right. Hit the fucking brakes. But she runs into the only hole in the entire desert. So she gets captured. And then we are back at the nightclub and we have prisoners and they bring in the one guy who appears it seems to appear in every single action movie we've seen him in die hard uh we've seen him in big trouble in little china we've seen him in just every freaking movie yeah yeah i good, love that good guy. old hendo endo he yeah. will always be endo yeah I who know. is he in die hard endo who is he in uh big trouble endo that's who that character has always been for me. I have decided if this guy ever shows up at one of the Comic-Cons or whatever, we have to got, get a picture with this guy. Uh, but I want to give him uh, battery jumper cables with some sponges attached to it. Yeah. yeah, And a Snickers bar. Yes. A, yes, and a Snickers bar. And so the torture ensues. And I like the dialogue between Joshua and Riggs. Yeah. We're in for a long night because I don't know shit. And then the whole beating up Murtaugh. And have you ever gotten salt in the wound? 
No, but I, I have heard that that freaking hurts. So I remember watching it, and my dad's sitting there, and I remember them putting the salt in his wound, and Danny Glover's going crazy, and I look at my dad, and I said, is that hurt or something? And he says, yeah, that pain is unimaginable. And so ever since that moment, you know, when I get a cut or something, I try to avoid salt. <laughs> Don't eat french fries. I will say that I have I have experienced something like that, eating french fries, and motherfuck. My, yeah. my finger's just burning. Yeah, because you yeah. got like a paper cut or something. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, they they are trying to find out what Riggs and Merton know. However, if I'm McAllister, I shoot Riggs and Merton the head and I move the delivery date. How hard is that? Well, right? I don't know. They said it was a pretty big shipment. Why don't in. you guys just call it heroin? Yeah. And <laughs> I he, love that. Yeah, he says it's coming in. And so my guess is even though they are some bad guys, Whoever's bringing in that big ship and the heroin might be bigger bad guys. Eh, maybe. maybe but, so but maybe the, they don't want to fuck with them. Well, maybe. But the general is also pretty high up there, I mm-hmm. would think. I would think. But. Sure. He's the general. Right. And so they're not getting where they want to get, and they decide that they're going to threaten Murtaugh's daughter in front of him. And this, at this time, Riggs is half dead by being electrocuted, but he is not dead at all. He escapes, and as they are about to, you know, go to work on Murtaugh through his daughter, Riggs comes in and saves the day. And this this movie is responsible for one of my favorite lines, and you both have heard me say this a thousand times. What did one shepherd say to the other shepherd? Let's get the flock out of here. I love that line. <laughs> so good. I just love the fact that he had time to make that pun. After he whoops everyone's ass. And he's been electrocuted so you know so many times yeah. and almost died. He still makes time to make a joke. Yeah, and he he's just on point. So they and I love the bit when they're leaving the nightclub and he opens the door, the bartender runs, and the other guy tries to shoot him, and it's just all bang bang. Walks up, bang bang. He's just taking fools out left and right. Mm-hmm. And he's going, they're going after Joshua. And then this leads us to the scene on the street and Riggs chases him on foot, which I always thought was hilarious because he's a fucking smoker. And as a smoker, I can't run to my driveway, let alone chase someone down the Mm one-on-one. But is this before or after Murtaugh has his showdown with the general? This is before. He he takes off and we kind of do the whole Mr. Joshua getting away bit. And because uh, I know Murtai yells to him, he's going this way. You go across these two cut streets. Cut down the freeway. You'll get ahead of him. Yeah. yeah. Get him at the overpass. Yeah. Riggs is chasing him on foot, which becomes another trope throughout this entire series. And you also have uh, Murtaugh saying, General McAllister, time for you to die. This is what I think is the Dirty Harry scene. Oh, sure. This Absolutely. is the showdown with the car coming straight at him. In the alley. And, and he, he doesn't flinch. He just... And another foreshadowing moment, because earlier when they were in the gun range, he cracks his neck in the same shot. But why not shoot McAllister? Why does he shoot the driver? Does he figure that the driver's going to die and it'll be more painful for McAllister? Well, my first thought is if he shoots McAllister, not the driver, the driver's going to run him over. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> that's what I thought, too. Yeah. Even though he jumps to the side. Right. Um, and so the car goes out and gets T-boned by a bus. What I missed, and again, I had to go back and rewatch, was right before they got in the car, did you catch McAllister was packing his bag full of explosives and grenades? Yeah, yes. So yeah. I did, I kept wondering when the car flipped over, where did that grenade come from? Oh, it all came oh, from his bag. came from his bag. Uh, do you know who was driving the bus? No, 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 no. He jumped off the roof with Riggs. 
That was the suicide guy. The suicide guy. Yeah, he's a stunt guy, and he's actually in all three movies, all four movies. So, yeah. I have to say, watching uh, Joshua and Riggs exchange gunfire, they had a lot of bullets. Yes, they did. A lot. In the middle of rush hour on a Los Angeles freeway. Oh, you got to love the 80s. (laughs) And so... uh, Riggs gets hit by a car and allow, and that allows Joshua to escape. Mind if I test drive your Audi? And uh, Riggs makes his way back to Murtaugh and I love what he says because all that cocaine is in the air. He says, don't inhale because you're going to see pink elephants. And he says, uh, let's get you to the hospital. And then Murtaugh's like... No, he knows where I live. And then just instantly, instantly, Riggs doesn't say... Yeah, but you got to go to the hospital or we got to do this or we got to do that. What does he say? You want me to drive? He's down. He's He is his ride or die. They have to go save his family. The one thing I, again, didn't get in this movie was Mr. Joshua could have gotten the fuck out of Dodge, could have gotten out of town. Why does he go for the revenge? Why Pride, does he go man. after the family? Pride, ego. He, he knows he's going to get fucked. Well, he might not know that, but I'm sure it's pride and ego, and he wants revenge. Well, my first thought is that uh, by then, at by that time, uh, since the family had been in danger, had been threatened, that family should have already been moved out of that house. Should oh, they were. Been prote- well, I know they were, but that should have been the assumption of Mr. Joshua, is that we just kidnapped the daughter. The family is not going to be at that house. I think you're giving Mr. Joshua a lot of credit. Okay, he's not a thinker. He's just a soldier. Yeah, that's right. I like when Mr. Joshua's rolling up and he sees those cops. Hey, can we help you? And he kind of looks around for a second and goes, no. Bang, bang. <laughs> yeah, that's another scene that bothered me too, is that uh, we find out a little bit later that uh, Murtaugh had phoned ahead to say, Joshua's coming, let's get all the cops there. And these two cops just get sacrificed. Well, I, I'm, I'm confused on where your problem is at. Is that they shouldn't have died. They should have been ready for a guy with blonde hair and big old buck teeth to be showing up. The first thing they see him out that window, those guns should have been drawn. A, I love the fact that you said buck teeth. And B, should have, would have, could have always adds up to... Didn't. So... Yeah. There you go. And then uh, Mr. Joshua shows up at the house, and Riggs and Murtaugh left him a, a, note. a nice little note. My issue, or not even my issue, but I guess my question was, why does Murtaugh let them run the cruiser into the house? I don't know. It, it was probably Riggs's idea. Oh, hey, it was very much Riggs's idea. But then I started thinking about it. In the opening, when they have breakfast, when we first meet the family, mm-hmm. there's a wall that's not done. That's right. There is. So I bet you Murtaugh's thinking, fuck, let's just demolish the whole thing and have the department pay for a professional renovation. I thought it was just a distraction so they could get the jump on Mr. Joshua. Yes, it was. But why Why would Murtaugh be so cavalier about, let's, let's destroy my house? Can we have a different kind of distraction, maybe? That's all I'm saying. And so Mr. Joshua gets apprehended. What do you say, Jack? Would you like a shot shot at at the the title? title? At the time watching it in 87, I thought this was the coolest scene. Bad guy versus the good guy, street fight. It's going to be fun. You You have to have the obligatory running into the fire hydrant so everything can be wet and make it look like it raining. And then watching it again years later, I'm thinking, this would never fucking happen. No cops are going to sit there and just let two people fight on their lawn. But Murtaugh covers all of his bases. He says, I'm in charge. 
we accept the responsibility. This is Riggs's collar. And the son of a bitch just killed two of our men. Yeah. So, yeah. so they have their fight, and Riggs could kill him and probably was going to kill him. But I think it's when Raj says, break his fucking neck, that something clicks to him. And he says, you know what? No, I'm not going to. Not this time. Did you know that this fight, this scene that was filmed, was four minutes longer? They four had to cut minutes four minutes longer. Yeah. I'm glad they did. It's long enough. Yeah, it, it's the perfect length It for does me. seem to go on a long time yeah. to me. It's a really good camera shot when uh, you have Riggs having Joshua in the chokehold and the camera swings as Riggs uh, gets over on top of Joshua. Yeah. I, I really dug the, the shot. Did he grab a flagpole or something? What was he swinging around, Joshua? That was the light pole that, oh, he, that get, the light pole? He, gets, he gets thrown into. It yeah. had the Christmas lights on the, it. Yeah, it was a Christmas tree. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It I was, was wondering what he was like. swinging around. And then, uh, of course, Riggs gets the nightstick and... The billy club. And, yeah, and they, they have their thing. And so ultimately, you know, as a popular trope in any action movie... Mr. Joshua's not dead. They both take their guns out. They shoot him in slow motion. We slow it down a little bit, and then we speed everything up, and Riggs collapses into Danny Glover's arms, and it's this bit. I got you. I got, I got you, partner. When he and, calls him partner. And the tune. Yes. Oh. I mean, Presser, you start crying right now. So good. So, so we just, good. guys, just want to give it a five now. And then uh, we cut to the next morning, which is Christmas morning, I'm assuming. And Riggs is at the cemetery. It's raining. And he's visiting his wife. And the tune again. It's the same guitar twang that we have from the beginning of the movie where we first meet Riggs. Right. And But this time, there's a little bit more hope in his face. And a little bit more healing, maybe like he found something or someone, you know, that doesn't make his life complete shit. He's made found a connection. He had no connections in the beginning and now he has a connection to life again. Yep. And so uh, we show up at the Murtaugh's place and we can see that construction has kind of started. Rianne answers the door and you can see that there, you know, she has been through hell and she knows that Riggs is her savior. Yeah. Yeah. And then the bit where he gives her the bullet and he says, give this to your dad. I won't be needing it. It's a bullet. He goes, yeah, yeah, he, he'll understand. I just love that. And the music. And then she says, you want to come in? We're building. And he's like, no, no, no I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I, I, need to, I need to be someplace. Hey, Riggs. Yo, if you think I'm eating the world's worst Christmas turkey, you got to be crazy. And then this bit. I'll let you in on a little secret. I'm not crazy. I know. Good. Let's eat. And it, it's just its just such a natural conversation. I think one of my favorite scenes of this movie comes next. <laughs> Sam? Hey, hey, do you mind if I bring a friend? Oh, sure. You can bring a friend. Hey! And he whistles and the dog comes running out. He's like, I don't think Burbank's going to like this. I don't think Burbank the cat's going to. Yeah. I got five on the mutt. And you, did you hear the noises in the house? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's when Danny Glover comes out, fixes the light, and says, I'm too old for this shit. Yeah. And he just casually stays outside for a moment, looks up, gradually tightens the bulb. And we have Elvis's rendition of I'll Be Home for Christmas and credits roll. So I think, as I stated early on, that the, the Lethal Weapon franchise is definitely one of my favorite 
you know, there you have you have Star Wars and such, but you know, it, it's just such a solid franchise. And do you feel the same way? I would definitely agree. I think it is definitely in my top five franchise of all time, just because of the characters and and just the the journeys we've gone on. I mean, even you and I talking about Lethal Weapon 2, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's a staple in my life. Um, I, I think it's in the top five franchises of all time. I know that your top franchise of all time. Well, if you look at my Christmas sweater, what does it say? The Lord of the Rings? Oh, fuck. And now it's time for John's... This is the point in our podcast where I compare the movie we are currently reviewing to the greatest movie series ever made, Lord of the Rings. This movie, uh, Lethal Weapon, had a pretty small main cast, so there's not a lot of comparisons on this one. So I guess that's kind of an early Christmas present to you two. Riggs and Murtaugh are both Frodo and Sam. Both have their own separate journeys that they both assist each other on. Both are there for each other, and it's obvious they wouldn't each have completed their part of the journey without each other. The closest person we have to Gandalf, that would be Michael Hunsaker. While he's not in the movie much, he's the reason why Murtek and Riggs came together and basically put them on their journey. He has the knowledge both of them need to complete this stage of their adventure together. This makes our fellowship Riggs, Murtaugh, and Hunsaker. Police psychologist Stephanie Woods would be our Elrond. Like Elrond the Elf Lord, Stephanie tries to put out warnings about issues ahead for our fellowship. She has her, her doubts about Riggs from the start, but in the end, they still complete their leg of the journey in spite of her concerns. Sauron the White would be Mr. Joshua. He works for the Big Bad without question. As a previous soldier turned mercenary, he started on the side of good, but later serves the side of evil. Sauron, that would be General Peter McAllister. The general is our big bad for the movie. He is the cause of the death of Amanda, and he is in charge of bringing heroin into the country. He also has Roger's daughter kidnapped, and so on. So what is the precious? What is the one ring? In Lethal Weapon, a physical representation of the precious could be seen in the one hollow point bullet that Riggs carries with him. When we are first introduced to the bullet, it's Riggs contemplating taking his own life. He later tells Murtaugh, even got a special bullet for the occasion. Like the ring has a negative impact on whomever carries it, so does this bullet represent a serious corrupting influence on Riggs as a symbol of the power to end the troubles in Riggs' life. The bullet inadvertently has an effect on everyone around Riggs as his death wish affects his behavior on the job. It's not until he gives up the bullet at the end that he metaphorically casts it off into his own Mount Doom. And there you have it, my comparison of Lethal Weapon to Lord of the Rings. Oh, fuck the grades. Pretty thin. Anorexic. The only one that doesn't make any sense to me is Gandalf and Hansacker. Uh, just because of the the differences of the two characters. If it were me, I would probably make the police captain Gandalf, but that's just me. Yeah, this one was kind of hard because, you know, not a lot of correlations in there, but you you found what you did. I'm going to give you a C plus, buddy. 
C plus. And that was John's. Moment. All right, what do you guys think? You guys ready to rate this flick? I'm ready to rate this flick. John, are you ready to rate this flick? I'm too old for this shit. (laughs) Hey, Professor, how do we rate our movies? We do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that we think is cinematic gold. A one fuck movie is a movie where you watch it and you're, you know, I'm never going to watch that again. And what's a zero? A zero fuck movie is, oh, for shit's sake. What the hell? Why did you make me watch this? I want one hour and 46 minutes of my life back. Or in other words, we just don't give a fuck. Uh, Well, I guess it is my movie, so I guess I would be going first. Yeah? Yeah. 1987, Thanksgiving, my birthday, my dad rented it. We watched it. It holds a very special place in my heart. The chemistry between Riggs and Murtaugh is something that goes on to be duplicated, and I don't think that it has ever been captured. I think Riggs and Murtaugh are the best buddy cop duo in cinematic history, and I think that from start to finish, this movie is very well paced. It is perfectly cast. The soundtrack is... I mean, we've talked about it at nauseum, right? We love the fucking soundtrack. So... Merry fucking Christmas, Lethal Weapon, five fucks, cinematic gold. Bam. That just happened. I did not see that coming at all. All right, I'm up. Lethal Weapon, boy, oh boy. What a movie. What a classic. And having to compare it with Lethal Weapon 2, boy. But what a lovely bookend to have, you know, the journey continue with Lethal Weapon 2. But I digress. Lethal Weapon is such a delightful movie to watch. I, the musical score carries the, the movie so well, and I totally get behind Martin, and I totally get behind Roger. These two together are the best, and I concur that they are the gold standard for what a buddy cop move, movie should look like. The uh, supporting cast I thought was great, and Gary Busey, he's wonderfully creepy in this, and I totally buy his crazy. Riggs's journey that he's on is so heartbreaking early on in the movie, and it's so satisfying to see him land with, you know, the Murtaugh family. And I am happy to watch this movie anytime. It's a five-fuck movie. Two five-fuck cinematic golds from The Professor and myself. All right there, tough guy, you're up. But I already know you're not giving it a five, and I respect that. I just want to know real quick before I guess your rating. It's it's a yes or no question, okay? Did You, you know like, I can't do yes or no questions. I'll try. Humor me, okay? Did you like this film? Yes. Okay, thank you. You should be giving Lethal Weapon a five, 4.5 at the minimum, but you were going to give Lethal Weapon 3.75 fucks. Is that your final answer? Unfortunately, yes. Lethal Weapon may not be your typical feel-good Christmas movie, but its holiday setting adds a unique twist to an action-packed classic. Despite the explosive action and the gritty drama, the film's underlying theme of redemption and friendship embodies the spirit of the season. Mel Gibson's Riggs and Danny Glover's Murtaugh are as mismatched as eggnog and hot sauce, but their chemistry works. 
They should be included in the best duos in movie history alongside Laurel Hardy, Dean and Jerry, and Tango and Cash. Riggs brings the action that keeps your heart racing, while Murtaugh's one-liners keeps the laughs coming faster than Santa down the chimney at Penelope Cruz's house. In the realm of action movies, was this the best one that I've seen? No, and that's just my opinion. But that's not to say it doesn't have its place in the best all-time action flicks, at least in the top 25. And when it comes to buddy cop movies, it's easily in my top 10, along with movies like 48 Hours, Tango and Cash, Bad Boys, Rush Hour, and Hot Fuzz. I'm betting if I watched the other sequels, it would easily move up to my top five, if not higher. There was just something about the first movie that felt a little underwhelming to me. I'm not sure if it's the predictability or the improbability. Many times we excuse issues with movies by saying, because it's in the script that way. But I felt this movie had an overabundance of those excuses. Like, how did the guy get the drop on Riggs in the desert so fast? Why did the handcuffs break while Riggs was falling from the roof, only to show up restored at the bottom? And how did the handcuffs not break their hands as they hit that mat? How did Riggs and Murtaugh get to Roger's house so quick at the end to stop Mr. Joshua, but not in time to save the two cops that he killed when he first arrived? Normally, when cops kill anyone, they also have to turn over their guns while the case is being reviewed, and so on. There was a lot of holes in the movie, but that doesn't take away from the enjoyment of the movie. There was great one-liners, the great chemistry, I can't see anybody else in these roles, and it has gone on to spawn at least three or four successful sequels after this, so there's something to it. Lethal Weapon may not be the most sophisticated flick, but it's definitely a jingle bell rockin' good time. With its blend of humor and heart-pounding action, this movie for me is a solid 3.75 fa-la-la-la-las. Fuck. 3.75? You're going to pick this movie to nitpick about... You know what? It's fine. Normally... No, I don't want to hear it. It's fine. It's fine. 3.75 3.75 fucks. Does that break your heart a little? A little bit, but that's okay. Like Wh- coal in your stocking? Maybe. It's like you took a shit in my stocking, but that's cool. With five perfect fucks from me and the professor and 3.75 fucks from the comic book guy, that gives Lethal Weapon an average of 4.6 fucks, which now puts it alone in the number five spot. Slightly better than The Princess Bride, John Wick 3, Snatch, Alien, and Ocean's Eleven. And slightly worse than... Black Panther, Pulp Fiction, Goodfellas, and Elf. You know, with that score, since this is going to be the last review that we do for 2023, I just thought I would give you your your batting average for guessing John's scores. All right. For 2023, what's my batting average? 769. 69, baby. I'll take it. Very nice. That's pretty damn good. I'll say, is that a good batting average? Well, isn't 69 good? always well it's, it's, you got to do some work i prefer 68 yeah you would you lazy motherfucker all right that is going to wrap it up for this episode of three guys in a flick if you would like to know which movie we will be reviewing next please check out the website speaking of which a john where can they find us well they can always find us at our website three guys in a flick that www three guys in a flick.com 
where we go ahead and we post all of our show notes, podcasts, and there's a form on there where you can go ahead and submit a movie you would like us to review next. 2024 is coming up, and we'd love to hear from you on what you want us to review this next year. You can also find us at any place that hosts podcasts and all of social media. All right. I just want to thank Zach, Ronnie, and Jill for always listening. Keep on listening. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks, Jill. And I want to thank anyone else who listens and who has suggested a movie. If you keep listening, we'll keep recording. For Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. Happy holidays, and thanks for listening. Thirty-four uses of fuck and around thirty uses of shit. Other profanity, including goddamn and hell. I thought it would have been higher with the f bombs. All right, thank you for uh, appeasing me. That'd be a good thing to cover on the podcast. <clears throat> oh, look at this guy! Even with the, I like your line of, I thought there'd be more. Yeah, well, I have it. We just have to find a. Natural way to work that in. To wiggle it in. If to only, wiggle it in. If only had an editor who could handle that. Yeah, only if we did, huh, fucker? So you're going to make me do this quote, huh? All right. Nobody's making you do anything. Hey, watch your, watch the tone. Avoid the pain. Christmas, there's a mob calling down. Christmas. I have no fucking clue what song that is. I'm watching them fall. I think I recognize it. I'll put it in. Um, it's way better than me singing it. Oh, can't be. No, there's four. There's one in the truck. Oh, you're right. Mm-hmm. Hey, nose is in the dirt, asshole. God, I can't believe you guys got one wrong. The 22, I can understand. Four. four. You're going to edit it, aren't you? Later, our heroes, Martin and Riggs, go back to question. Martin is Riggs. So, are you done? Was that nice and refreshing? I didn't think as much as I would have liked well, finish the fucker, because it's right there. Go ahead, buddy. All right. What do you got? You know, to be completely honest, it's already got the perfect porn name. Lethal Weapon? Yeah. No, that's dumb. My Lethal Weapon. No, not My Lethal Weapon. Just Lethal Weapon. Um, I was thinking... Loaded Weapon? That's a, that's a movie, actually. Yeah, I know. With uh, Emilio Estevez. That's the, the parody. Spoof. Yeah. I came up with Loaded Member. Lethal Member? Is it really lethal, though? Well, yeah, and, and well, and I Shoot think to kill, and I think the the first thing that popped in my head was Lethal Injection, but that's the name of an Ice Cube album. So there you go, Professor. Yeah. You got one? No, for fuck's sakes, this guy gives it you a know, five but, and can't even come up with a porn name for but it. But we have to ask because when he does have one, it's always the winner. So I'm I think I've already said it, but I think I'm leaning towards just the whole dog and cat thing at the end. I just thought that was for some reason that was just hilarious to me. God, that says so much about you. <laughs> Listeners, I hear you. All right. May all of your uh, days and nights be filled with happiness. All right. Fuck off. Good night.